welcome to the Fully Human Podcast. My name is Chris Cirillo, and I've got my buddy Ryan Hugerworth here, and he is a very close friend of mine. We actually get a chance to work together uh, every day, and we just have a passion for what we're going to talk about today and uh, what we're going to talk about in all of these episodes. But before we dive in too much, I'd love to just kind of share with you guys why we're doing this and uh what is this all about? What's the need for these kinds of conversations? And uh, so Ryan and I are just going to share a little bit about our stories and kind of how it pertains to the topic of living fully human. And then we'll dive into kind of what this actually means and what you should expect from this podcast moving forward and kind of um, what the, the, I should say the structure and the context and uh, how we're going to approach these conversations. But um, I'll let you go first, Ryan, just kind of share a little bit about your journey and kind of what brings you here to this call with me. And, and I'll, I'll share a little bit. We'll go from there. Yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> fired up to be here. Uh, excited to do this. And obviously this is something that you and I've talked about for a while. Um, but, you know, we've had the pleasure of over the last eight months, getting uh, really close to each other and uh, our families are, are close to each other. And we're kind of just um, exploring a lot of this stuff and digging into um, this idea of what does it really mean uh, to live fully human? Um, and so, yeah, for me, man, I'm born and raised uh, here in Texas, uh, what I like to call the greatest country in the country. And um, man, it's a, it's a great place. Um, it's a, a place with a, a massive church on every corner. Um, but the downside of that is, um, for the most part, from what I found, a lot of them are just saying the same things over and over again. And, um, there's not a ton of depth. Um, and so for me, like I, uh, I would say I, I really started, uh, figuring out about this guy named Jesus, uh, back when I was in middle school, uh, lucky for me, I had a, a group of awesome friends that, uh, cared deeply for me, uh, started bringing me around youth group and started bringing me, uh, just acting different around me. Um, and so, uh, in eighth grade, uh, uh, decided, Hey, I wanted to, to give my life to Christ. I don't think I fully knew what that meant at the time, uh, but I was prepared to, uh, make that proclamation, uh, got baptized and, um, you know, from there, uh, saw just a, a lot of, um, consistency in the way that like I had been living pre giving my life to Jesus, uh, not a whole lot changed because I think I just had this, um, fairly small view of what, what giving your life to Christ looked like. And so, um, that was just kind of the, the cultural norm of living down here in the South. Like I knew, you know, I, I knew all the stories growing up. I could sing all the songs and, um, you know, you go to Sunday school, you get plugged into the church, you join a small group. Like that was just what you did. Um, and if you didn't, it was just kind of weird. Um, and so fast forward, um, I started just having this stirring, um, that God had put in my heart to, uh, just go a little deeper. Um, there was more, uh, to the book that, you know, that we read the, the Bible and, uh, I was only getting spoon fed a little bit of that. And so, uh, fast forward, uh, I, I have had a number of people, um, that have just taken the, the intentional time to pour into me and care for me and challenge me on a lot of the things I thought I knew. And, um, shout out to, to Mark Hartley, um, up in, uh, Vancouver, Washington, uh, who just took time to say, Hey, let's, let's really dig in and let's understand authors and let's understand cultural context. And let's understand, uh, what was actually happening when these words were written. Uh, so we can really understand the comprehensive nature of, uh, what scripture tells us. And so, um, yeah, it's been a couple of year journey for me of just trying to figure out, Hey, what is this, um, this idea of, of living fully human? What does that actually look like? Um, in the, the biblical intentional way that God designed it, what does that look like? Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, awesomely God, uh, crossed our paths over eight months ago. And, um, uh, man, you've been leaning in and, and we've just kind of been saying, Hey, how do we, how do we communicate this? Um, how do we, how do we really articulate this idea that living fully human in the way that God intended it is, <laughs> it's actually important. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, that's kind of the, the, up to this point where this journey started for me. Yeah. Yeah. Not, terribly dissimilar for me, but, uh, as you know, there was, um, subtle difference kind of in the mid season there, but yeah, I, I started going to church as a kid with my parents, but it was a kind of a, a Lutheran, you know, very, um, <laughs> uh, 
the chosen frozen, if you will, like they, there yeah. was, there was no fire in their bellies. They, yeah. there was like the same stuff, you know, most of them were, had been believers their whole life, but to them being a believer meant, you know, going to the, the Lutheran church on Sunday for 90 minutes. And mm-hmm. my parents decided that, you know, uh, that church wasn't for us anymore. And, um, that was when I think I was like 12 and, uh, uh it was between then and, and, age, I think 16 or 17, when my now brother-in-law, a story for a different day, uh, invited (laughs) me to church in high school and just kept bugging me to come. And, you know, um, it was during that season where I raised my hand, said a prayer, did the whole thing and, you know, started, uh, started following the Lord and, um, but really struggling a lot with, um, a variety of different things, still a bunch of addictions and all sorts of stuff. And, um, sexual addiction, partying, you name it, drugs, the works, and uh, went off to college and, you know, was playing college football at University of Oregon and was in a fraternity and basically in all the kinds of friends groups that would lead you to probably doing a lot of stuff that usually isn't uh, aligned with uh, a life of following Jesus. And a couple of years into that, I felt the Lord stir in my heart to leave and to get out of there, like to, Hey, reset. You need to move away from these people who are influencing you in all the wrong ways. So I decided it'd be a good idea to join the army and become an army <laughs> ranger. And that that would really set you straight. Yeah. That'll set me straight. <laughs> so, uh, went to boot camp, went to ranger indoctrination program, did all the stuff and really it did. It got me away from drugs and all that stuff, but it didn't get me away from, you know, chasing women and, you know, getting drunk all the time and things like that. And, um, about halfway through after my second deployment, um, again, my now brother-in-law was like, Hey, I heard you're coming home for the weekend. Come, uh, come join us. And so, uh, long story short, I ended up really officially, I would say like, that was the moment that weekend when I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ when, Mm. when I actually gave him everything and he was actually really faithful. This isn't everybody's story, but it was in that moment that things like porn addiction and addiction to alcohol and several things just like broke off in the moment. Right. And, Mm. uh, I now, uh, you know, have drinks occasionally and can do it in a really healthy way, but I didn't have to have a sip of alcohol for like three years after that. And I didn't have to try. It was just like, the Lord was faithful to say, Hey, I'm just going to you're going to give me your life and I'm going to give you a new life. And it was just Mm. an incredible time. And so, uh, my wife and I, you know, were parts of lots of different churches over the years and similar to you, we just kept feeling this stirring. Like we'd be sitting in a, in a worship gathering and man, there's more than this. Like, I feel like I'm not really changing and I don't look a lot different than everybody else. I'm like, I'm way better than I was before, but um, shouldn't I be continuing to look like Jesus? Isn't that like the goal of all this? And so it took me down this multi-year journey of what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be an apprentice to Jesus and, um, to be a disciple, to make disciples. And, um, one of the things I found along the way was the Lord blessed me with, um, this new skill of how to develop discipline and consistency and habits that came from, you know, time and special operations in the military. And what I found is by his grace, he revealed to me like, Hey, use this, your intentionality and your discipline is required for you to place yourself into my path. I'm not going to overtake you. Uh, mm-hmm. we serve a Lord who is very, um, uh, patient and gentle and he's not going to force himself on anybody. And so I could continue every day, live in life, however I want. And he's not going to force me to look like Jesus. He gave us the responsibility to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pause in this moment and I'm going to read or pray or just sit with the Lord and journal or whatever. And it's in those moments that the graces of God are going to continue to transform as you, as you really stop and say, yeah, you're Lord. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was kind of this, um, season where I realized, man, that God's given me this gift to help 
other people develop healthy habits and rhythms and liturgies and disciplines that move them further into the graces of God, where now we're in these moments where the Lord really encounters us and begins to change us. But uh, he's not going to just do that through osmosis. And so what does it mean then to live fully human? And how do we then um, start to design a life of rhythm and habits that move us towards opportunities for the Lord to change us. Our work doesn't change us, but our work does give us an opportunity to encounter the Lord in a way where he transforms us. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a distinction. Oftentimes people, they think that work is opposed to grace, but Mm. work isn't opposed to grace. Um, work is only opposed to grace. If you think work is the path to salvation, but Paul all through scripture was all about discipline. He, he basically Mm. was like, I, I discipline myself so that I'm not a slave to anything. And I think that's where the church has been really missing how it equips men specifically to lead and to be biblical men, um, is in this area of like, teaching them use the discipline and the, in the, the capacities that you have to shape a life that moves you into more spiritual formation. So that's really what this is all about is, uh, what are the key areas of life that we kind of have some responsibility over and how do we yield them to what God designed? How do we yield them to what scriptures say about it? And I think that, uh, when we start doing that, we get to, to live a more fully human life. We get to live uh, a life that is blessed really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I think, uh, what, what really drew me to this was understanding what that actually means, right? Like I think we, um, when you wrap cultural identity into this uh, and you try to match like our cultural identity today to this idea of living fully human that God, you know, uh, designed in the garden, you start to end up with this really weird byproduct. Like that's a, that's a strange equation to get to where we are today. Right. And so um, why I'm so passionate about this and why I love that, that we get to have this opportunity. uh, And I love what you said specifically um, obviously living fully human is not uh, is not a, a, gender specific concept, but, uh, for us, like we're really passionate about raising up, uh, men, uh, specifically. Um, and I think obviously there's a a unique design in the way that, that God created us. Um, but man, if we can, um, you know, the, the heart here is if we can, if we can communicate these things that we're finding and the things that I think God's revealing to us and a lot of other people, uh, like, I don't think we're alone in this journey, but if we can have a, a platform to be able to communicate that, to raise up, uh, fully human in the biblical sense, men, then, uh, man, it's going to be a huge win, uh, for the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, why don't we, for, for listeners, uh, just so you guys know, this is both video and audio podcast. So you may end up hearing references to to things that are on video, (laughs) but, um, let, let's like dive in a little bit and let's talk about, um, where we came up with this idea and kind of, um, you know, what's the starting point? I think that's a a good, a good thing to think through. Most of our topics are all going to kind of be centered around, I would say some version of seven core domains in our life, which is faith. Um, and other ways to say that in, in the way that I think about it would be like discipleship, apprenticeship, um, you know, spiritual formation that kind of all falls in the faith bucket. Uh, family, what does it look like to have a biblical family and how should families operate, um, in general, but how do we take what scripture shows us and, and actually have it be something that is modified and successful in the context of the 21st century? Um, there's community, which in my mind is multifaceted. This is like our church community, um, in the sense of like those you gather with on Sunday, but also hey, Christian community community in your neighborhood, all of those elements, there's health, which I think is oftentimes really overlooked. Um, one of the things that was really, I was having a conversation last night with, um, you know, our pastor was here with his wife and 
um, we were just talking about uh, Leviticus and like all these laws around the temple and how serious God was about the temple. But then now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And like we, we really are the temple, but we don't take anywhere near as good a care of our bodies or have as much intentionality with our bodies as, you know, the people of God did when the temple was brick and mortar. And so that's a, an mm-hmm. interesting thing to think about when it comes to health. And I think there's multiple facets. There's spiritual health, there's emotional health, there's physical health. But then paired with that is like um, rest and, and work. And I know that's a topic we've talked a lot about recently, but mm-hmm. what is that tension like? And how did God design us for both of those things? And then the last is something that you're passionate about, which is finances. And mm. God, uh, God is the owner of all things and he resources us individually and we get a chance to steward things. What does that look like to do that really well? But yeah. When I look at scripture, I think there's a lot of evidence, especially, you know, most of our conversations about human life, they look at, um, post fall, you know, Genesis three man falls. And then we kind of have this like paradigm, this lens that we look through, but oftentimes I think what people don't either realize or don't remember often enough is that God created an archetype. And when he made Adam, And then he made Eve out of Adam. What he was really doing is saying like, you're the archetype for humanity. Um, I'm giving you work. And he didn't even plant the garden, by the way, until after Adam was made. Um, He said, there's no one to work the ground. So let me, let me make man. So he made man, planted the garden, gave him work. And then he gave this like mandate to Adam and Eve to go and take the archetype of the garden and take it to the rest of the world to bring order out of chaos. And there's all these ways that they were living in the garden that I think was a picture of like fruitful, fully human living. You know, you look at, they walked with God in the cool of the day, right? Like how cool is that? They get, they, they had a deep communion and connection with the father and um, they were, you know, relationally healthy, there was no sin. And so there was like this unique bond between man and his wife, um, where there was no brokenness, there was no dysfunction and they were unclothed as we can talk about, you know, (laughs) they had bare feet connected to the ground. Like they didn't have clothes. They didn't have shoes. God designed some things into the DNA of the way the world works that continued to keep them healthy. There was like an array of you know, non-GMO, uh, very yeah. unadulterated, like God breathed food sources that were nourishing. Um, they worked with their hands all day and they moved their bodies and they cultivated the ground. They brought order out of chaos. And, uh, it's interesting. You see Paul describing Jesus as like the last and the better Adam. And there's clearly this like failure that happens with Adam But Jesus comes to be the pinnacle of human existence to say, I'm going to actually live sinless and I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm going to be what Adam wasn't. And it was through one man, everyone experiences death. And through now another man, everyone experiences new life. And so I think it would be a miss to not look at, hey, what did God really have in mind in the beginning? Because that's like the opening of the story. That's inviting us into, yeah. okay, what was, what was God's uh, ideal for humanity? And then what did Jesus do in light of sin in the world and how did he live? And then what did he command us and how does that inform everything that we do? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a really, a really good reason why the Bible doesn't start at Genesis three. Like there's, there's uh, the, if, if God wanted the fall to be the start, to give us context there, Genesis one and two wouldn't exist. Right. So there's a really intentional purpose with Genesis one and two. And I think, uh, to dumb it down, like first impressions are important. So like the first impression that God created is this picture, perfect idea of the way that we're supposed to operate and live with him, um, in the connection of us being human and him being God. Uh, but a lot of times you're exactly right. Like we gloss over that to get to Genesis three, to understand the fall, it's like, well, before we can actually understand the implications of the fall, 
we have to go back and understand the way that God initially designed it. Because without it, we have no context, right? So understanding uh, the the perfect nature, exactly what you're what you're describing, like um, uh, they were naked and, and unashamed, walking in community with God, like living in this perfect creation uh, in the way that God intended it. And then obviously now we get to Genesis three and we have the fall, and that's where we can dig into um, the implications of that and why we have to now live slightly different, but before we really understand the context there, we have to say, hey, let's back it up to Genesis 1 and 2 and really understand the picture that God paints for us to understand how we're supposed to live with him. Um, yeah. and, and I think that uh, that's a big reason why when I talked about earlier, like um, I, I felt like I was growing up and, and growing up in the church, felt like I was getting a spoon fed version of, um, of creation is because I think a lot of times that's glossed over. Like God gives us the blueprint. He gives us the archetype, exactly what you described. Like he gives us what we need, um, but we just skip it and get to Genesis three. And I think that's just a huge miss. Yeah. And, and before everyone gets too kind of uh, wild and crazy about this, you know, we're not suggesting that we strip our clothes off and walk around. naked. Uh, I, there's things that, that obviously have changed now that sin and distortion and twisting have happened to the world. But we got to start from, like you said, this perspective of, okay, there was this kind of, uh, call it perfect. I think that's the wrong word. Um, but this, uh, beautiful thriving version of humanity and life on earth that God intended that is now kind of broken, but what can we go back to? What can we use to inform the way we make decisions and the way that we allow ourselves to be changed now? couple of random examples of things that like God hardwired into the DNA of the way the world functions and the way people function is, you know, we've probably all heard about like beta carotene or getting, um, you know, uh, the right kind of vitamins for our eyesight. Well, that comes from carrots. God, God hardwired that into carrots. And we all know that like, yeah, vitamins and minerals and all this stuff come from our food, but do we really let that kind of sink in long enough to go, oh, well, if God hardwired all of that into the way our food operates with our body, like what else is there? Hmm. Um, another example is, you know, if you're outside in the sun and you're not wearing sunglasses, studies will show that uh, the sunlight actually hitting your eyes um, will start to cause the body to create melanin, which is this like skin pigment that helps prevent burning. And you're like, holy crap, like there's all this stuff that God has designed and, and we either a don't know about it because, you know, science is still discovering a lot of what God has hardwired. You know, the science still doesn't even know all the ways the body works. It's just like, but we have to start from this perspective of there was, there was this ideal, there was an intent that God had. And once we know that that was there, now we can start to look at it in light of the fall, in light of Jesus, in light of his commands. Uh, like, how does that change the way we think and live now? Yeah. And, and this is uh, what you just said. Uh, it's a uh, quick tangent. It's always fun, like, uh, when secular studies start to, like, uh, validate what scripture has said for uh, yeah. all time, right? Like, when you look at, this is a quick tangent, but like, uh, when you look at God talk about uh, the dynamics of being intimate with your spouse and then uh, psychological studies, secular psychological studies come out that talk about this idea of what's called what they're calling sex glue. And this idea that like when you are intimate with somebody, uh, a part of you like latches together with that person. Yeah. And they're like, and we're like, well, yeah, we've been scripture set, like scripture very articulately puts that, you know, like, yeah. so it's, it's, I love whenever yeah. you become one. Exactly. You know, like... And so when you have these, when you have these studies and you go back and look like, um, when it's talking about like, um, breaking down all of the different things that God either clothes or provides, uh, nurture for, or provides food for, or all of these things. And then we've taken that. And obviously we've made, um, and what we've talked about a ton, like GMO and, and built our own, uh, 
systems to get these things way easier, uh, tried to make our own version of it. But if you go back just to the root of it, like God has, has wired into the DNA of the earth and of us to give us everything that we absolutely need. Um, and that's something that you and I have, we've talked about, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about on here, but we've talked about that, uh, ad nauseum. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, one of the things that is really fascinating to me is the, the great commission and we're going to kind of shift gears just a little bit, but staying kind of in the same vein, you know, Matthew 28 tells us, uh, to go make disciples. Right. And, uh, probably one of the most well-known verses in scripture, but I think, I think also one of the most misunderstood when you go and make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So Jesus is giving this command to go and make disciples. And part of making disciples is teaching them to obey all the other stuff he commands to include this command. He's now giving them to make disciples. So when we look at the church, um, we, we have to, uh, ask the question, like, are we really making disciples mm. and how well are we doing it? If we are, um, because, uh, a disciple is one who replicates himself in light of Jesus's ways and is teaching people how to obey the commands of Jesus. Now, twofold. I think we don't actually teach the commands of Jesus. I think that's something that like we oftentimes miss. Uh, I think there's a ton of commands. There's, I mean, I have a, a list, but it's not even close to full of things that Jesus commanded um, that all point back to a principle of God, right? So what Jesus was doing was like, hey, I'm here to live this out fully and to teach you how you can live it out fully as well um, to show you the way. That's why he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way in which Jesus lived. Um, but uh, to obey the commands of Jesus, like you also have to know them and then you have to actually have someone give you some insight as to what that looks like to obey. How do I obey that today? Um, so I'm curious what comes to mind for you as you think about, um, that concept discipleship, uh, the commands of Jesus and obedience to those, as you look back at like your story and your experience, um, mm -hmm. in the church. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the, um, quotes that you use fairly often that, um, I find to be really convicting for me is, um, this idea that you should be, uh, covered in the dust of your rabbi. Um, which is just saying that you should be living so closely with them that you are uh, covered in the dust that are be that's being kicked up by their sandals. Um, and I think for me, the convicting part is I grew, I've grown up playing sports and I've grown up, uh, you know, I played division one baseball in college. And, um, when you start asking me questions about, you know, uh, my favorite team, the Chicago Cubs or just baseball in general, or the history of the sport, or you name it, like I can rattle off a lot of impressive facts. Like I know it very well. Um, and then you start, if you were to transition that and start asking me about the nitty gritty of understanding the commands of Jesus or the way of Jesus, I don't know it as well, right? Like it's, so it's, it's uh, one, I think it's a, it was a huge priority shift for me. Um, understanding that like knowledge of things like baseball or, um, you know, replace it with whatever as a, as a listener, like do an internal audit, like what are the things that you know best? Um, but for me, it was this, it was this shift of, um, Hey, uh, if I truly, um, if I truly say that I believe in Jesus, like if I say that I want to walk in the ways of Jesus, um, for me not to know them, there's a, there's a miss in my belief and behavior. Um, and so, uh, for me, true belief, um, and, and this is again, something that we can unpack, but true belief comes with the behavior side of it. So it's not enough. I can't just say I'm a Cubs fan. If I know nothing about the Cubs, if I don't watch baseball, if I'm, but Hey, I'm a Cubs fan, then uh, people are going to say, no, like you're not. Um, but for me, like saying, Hey, I, I uh, I've given my life to Christ and I want to be covered in the dust of my rabbi Jesus. Then, uh, it's a, it's a huge, uh, priority shift for me. Um, and this just wasn't something that was modeled, right? Like this was, 
uh, for me growing up, it was uh, what you described earlier, like, you know, church for, for 90 minutes on a Sunday. And um, I, I was what we, what I like to call the creasters. Um, so I was there for Christmas Eve and Easter. Um, and that was pretty much it. And so uh, this is just something that like, it, it just wasn't modeled. It wasn't something that was important. Um, and being growing up most of my life, being a cultural Christian, I would call it, uh, that was just normal. Like, yeah. can you name all 10 commandments? No, but do you follow Jesus? Yep. And it was like this, this tension of, I think there's more here. Like I go back and look at scripture and I look at what Jesus says and like, they're not taking things near as lightly as I am. Um, and so I think ultimately what, what it came down to was this huge priority shift for me of like, okay, what do I actually like, what am I, what am I putting my joy, my, my faith, my knowledge, my belief, like, what am I putting that in? Because there was a lot of things that, that weren't associated with uh, being a disciple or an apprentice to Jesus. Yeah. Let's talk about belief. Mm. Uh, Let's talk about it. That's one of my favorite <laughs> topics. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got some uh, friends and mentors out in Cincinnati and uh, I credit kind of this realization to them, but they kind of help me un unpack and understand what belief really is. And it's interesting. You can look in an etymological dictionary and you can see where after the Renaissance, like the definition of the word believe changed. Mm -hmm. And um, it's fascinating because like before uh, when the word belief was used, it basically meant to like, to lean on, to rely on with your whole life. Um, it was this idea that um, basically when you know something deeply enough, you begin to believe it, which is shown through your actions. And so um, I'm trying to remember what the, uh, the Greek word is um, in uh, for faith and belief. I think it's uh, like pistis or something like that. Uh, those of you who are scholars out there, maybe you can, <laughs> you can write in and let us me. know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like, uh, it's this divine persuasion, um, for a follower of Jesus, right? It's something that's imputed to you from God. Uh, it's, it's such a profound understanding and depth of knowledge around something that it, that you have this like, um, persuasion, you're internally persuaded in such a, uh, convicted and profound way that you can't help but live it out. And, uh, around the 16th century, you know, the Renaissance had an influence on changing the word belief to becoming just something that's more like a, a mental acceptance of truth. So in the church, we have misunderstood the way the word belief or faith, uh, they're like interchangeable in most uh, examples in, in the New Testament. We've misunderstood what those words actually mean when we read them. And we think that, oh, to have faith or to have belief in Jesus is to mentally accept that he is Lord, mentally accept that he is the Savior. But actually, to have belief is that that goes deep into the heart and actually creates a change in your behavior. And that's why we, we kind of see a lot of references to trees and fruit. Like you'll, you'll know things by the fruit. Uh, what happens on the outside is a representation of the depth of something happening on the inside. And I think also belief is more of like a dial than it is an on off switch. Mm. I think we have these moments where we don't believe things and we get a chance to repent and choose to believe. But the reason why this is so important, I think is because men in the church um, have been, I think taught in such a way that, uh, they've become passive. Um, they don't engage their families. They don't engage their, their wives. They, they maybe are not as involved in the community of believers as they should be. They're not usually accountable to people. They're not sharing their life and their struggles and their sin and their pain with people so that they can actually be, be prayed for and healed and people can ask them tough questions at times. And I am convinced that if the 
men who are spiritually responsible for their home are, are not engaged because they don't actually believe things deep enough, mm. then the church cannot be its healthiest and most effective kind of version of itself. Um, because the foundation of the big C church, if you look at kind of the way it's structured, it's like, uh, well, you've got believers that are part of families and these families make up communities of believers that are the local church. And it's like, how do you expect that local church to be healthy if the people that are making it up don't have a healthy kind of like mini church in their mm. home? They, their responsibility is kind of being, um, uh, pushed off and they're more passive and they're not engaged. And I think there's a whole nother conversation we can have about why that happens, which, uh, because it's not an indictment. Um, I think all of us have been there at times, but, um, yeah, belief is a fascinating topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's been something that I've wrestled with quite a bit. Cause, uh, if you look at like, let's, let's zoom out a little bit and just look at like really practical examples of what I think you're trying to describe here. Um, a lot of people, especially now, like a lot of people believe the idea that working out is good for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're at, as a country uh, in the US, we're at the most obese we've ever been. Yeah. So like, we believe the idea like, oh, yeah, that's truth. I get it. But and I think that's where that that dial comes in, right? Like, we may believe that at turn it up to one, like, that's the belief level that we have. But yep. if if you rewind all the way back to pre-Renaissance belief, uh, there'd be a lot of people today, if we use that definition, that would not believe that <laughs> working out and exercise is good for us, yep. right? So uh, like that's a, just an easy practical example of today. Um, but I think this is a huge, uh, a huge topic that we're getting into here because I do think, um, I have this conviction that I think the, the biggest downfall that we're experiencing right now, experiencing right now is uh, what you described passive men in the church. Um, I think we have a lot of uh, passive fathers. I think we have a lot of passive brothers. I think we have a lot of passive sons. I think we have a lot of um, just people that believe at maybe two or three, not all the way up to a 10. Yeah. Um, and I think um, my, my question, and, and maybe we can just unpack this a little bit. Obviously, uh, there's a, a lot of episodes to come and we can we can dig into some of the nitty gritty, but like really practically first first episode question, like if I'm a man in the church and I feel like I'm at a two or three, like one, thanks for listening to this podcast, excited for you to join yeah. in. But two, um, like, what do I do? Like, where do I start? Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, well, I think what we're trying to unpack here is I think a great starting point is you, you got to have a different paradigm. You, you can't take what, uh, the Western evangelical church has, you know, um, has taught. And, and I wouldn't say in, in every case or even in all cases or most cases that they're teaching the wrong things. They're just not teaching deeply enough. They're not equipping. And like, uh, to go back to discipleship in that, you know, Matthew 28, great commission, he doesn't say, teach them to know my commands. He mm. says, teach them to obey. What he's basically saying is train them in belief. So I think in order mm. to train someone in belief, first and foremost, they have to understand that there, there is an ideal perspective for human life that God created that was ruined by the fall. And we now live in this kind of pseudo in-between space where we, we have um, access to the father. We have him actually renewing and changing things, but we're not yet completely restored to, you know, the garden city that will come that we're told about in scripture, um, where we actually don't have sin, death, tears, or anything like that anymore. Right. Um, so we're in this in-between stage, but we have to have that foundational element of, okay, I'm listening to Chris and Ryan, and I now am seeing that what they're saying is true. There is something that we can glean from that was and was God's intended kind of uh, approach to living. Um, then in light of that, I also have to know that now I'm realizing 
well, what I say I believe and what I actually believe are not aligned. Yeah. And so that brings to question for most guys, they go, okay, well, if that's the case, then, oh yeah, I don't have the freedom to be passive and to say, I believe I now I'm going, okay. Um, I actually don't believe. So mm-hmm. how do I believe? I repent. Yeah. You, you turn, you change your mind. You turn away from one way of thinking to a new way of thinking, which is really what repentance is. Yeah. Which and, is a command from Jesus as which well. Which is a command from Jesus yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think from there, you just begin to train in belief. One of, one of the things I love about, there's an organization called the Kansas City Underground. And they run these uh, discovery Bible studies. And the goal of their discovery Bible studies is actually to train in obedience. So what they will, they will work through a topic and uh, then they will, um, they will actually um, ask those who are in the, the study to commit an I will statement in light of this truth that you are learning. Uh, it should evoke this outcome in obedience. And so uh, if it does, what are you going to do to demonstrate belief this week? And they'll actually commit to an I will statement. And then the next week when they meet, they're going to talk about like, Hey, how did you actually live out the truth of Jesus in these ways? And I think that's fascinating. I think we can all do that in our own study, but I would say for a passive man, it has to start with the word of God, with these Mm. paradigms, these foundations, Um, and you have to, uh, I think be in the word and you have to then ask the word to show you, ask the Lord Mm. to show you through his word, what is truth. And then in light of that, make a decision that you're going to begin to wrestle with trying to live that out. And the more that you do, uh, I think, um, to bring in secular conversations again, you know, James clear talks about like every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. I think there's some truth to that in an element of spiritual formation as well. The mm. more that I choose to do something, the more I feel like doing it. And the more the Lord changes my heart and my mind, I'm being renewed. I'm being transformed through renewal of my mind. So there is this element of like, oftentimes you're going to have to like start doing something that you don't really want to do. Yep. And it's through saying, Hey, I, 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 I know and believe that this is true. So I'm going to start acting it out. And over time, that's going to rewire the way that you think. And so I think that's a good starting point, but we've got to understand belief. We've got to understand that there was an ideal, uh, and we've got to understand what Jesus tells us about how to live in light of, you know, him and post fall. Yep. Yeah, what you just said is really important because I think a lot of people, um, especially in the South, uh, there's this idea that like, um, uh, if I'm not fully into it, like, I'll just skip it today. Um, And this idea of like what you're talking about building in in, um, James Clear, we're we're talking a little bit about him in the book Atomic Habits, like um, his his idea is aim aim to get 1% better every day, even if you don't want to do it, like, Um, so maybe that looks like waking up 15 minutes earlier so that you can sit and just read one verse. You may not want to do that, but don't, I I think oftentimes we think like, oh, you know, the idea, this idea that God knows my heart and God knows that I don't want to read that verse right now. And it's like, yeah, but you're building this rhythm and this habit of being consistent and spending time in the word. So now you're somebody that reads God, God's word consistently. And the likelihood is that you'll probably never want to read that verse. If you don't start, it's, it's kind of like going to the gym, quite frankly, you know, people who enjoy working out are just simply people that have worked out long enough that they've seen all of the amazing benefits. They experience the physical and emotional benefits. And now they, it's become part of who they are. It's become part of their rhythm. And it's, I don't think it's any different, right? Like, uh, I don't, it's rare. I wouldn't say it's, it's not, um, impossible, but it's rare to see someone who God has just radically like Paul, you know, mm-hmm. on the road to Damascus, like just, you know, in an instant yeah. began to change him. But I also think that people underestimate the story of Paul. There's this huge time period between when Paul, uh, had the scales removed from his eyes, when Ananias mm-hmm. laid his hands on him 
And when he started his ministry, I don't quote me on this. I want to say it was like the better part of 10 years, but I can't remember before his first missionary trip. So he was Mm -hmm. obviously, I think he was doing, he he would be doing ministry and and crafting and honing, but like this wasn't this like automatic change and he's a, a different person. Like he, he was already a person of discipline clearly because he was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, uh, he was, uh, a zealot, a Pharisee, like, um, you know, uh, he talks, I can't remember. I think it's Philippians three where he unpacks all of that, but mm-hmm. it's like, he was already this guy of incredible discipline around these things. And, um, so, I think people want things too easily. They're not willing yeah. to put in the hard work. Yep. And yeah, and I, th- I think a, a big a big piece of that too is in, uh, and I think that obviously there's a, a a big chunk of that idea that comes with this Western culture that we live in. Like, if you backtrack and look at Eastern culture, and and I don't know that this is fact, but this is a belief. I, I, I like I I I think this science would corroborate this story. Um, but if you look at people that are farmers, that are um, athletes, that are like, I think people like that understand better this idea of delayed, delayed gratification. Um, but because they are in their work, and this is why I said jumping back to like Eastern culture, where uh, people are working together as families to build farms and, and uh, do trades that aren't what we do here, uh, in the West for the most part. But I think that's a big piece. I think we want things really fast and the refinement, the, the, the move through sanctification is not a fast process. Like it's a, it's a, a a lifetime of walking in step with Jesus. Um, and I also, I want to back up a little bit back to belief because I think this is important, uh, because my story, like, can can I just, yeah, yeah. One yeah. thing really quick. That's why one of my favorite quotes is uh, from Blaise Pascal. He says, the strength of a man's virtue should not be measured by his special exertions, but by his habitual acts. Mm. And I think what you're describing is like people for, for a long time came from a period of um, living where they weren't afraid of these hard habitual dedications and consistencies that were required for something like, like you said, a lot of them were farmers. And so, you know, to be a farmer, there's a lot of consistent nurturing and Mm -hmm. a lot of hours and a lot of work that comes into then bringing something to a harvest. And so we, yeah, Yeah. we, we just live in a day and age where we just don't have a paradigm for that anymore. We don't understand because everything and our culture is hardwired towards faster and easier and streamlined and like, um, yep. yeah. So yeah. I just wanted to throw that out before you navigate yeah. back over. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's definitely some good, some good to that. Like the, the technology and things that we have are things that God has given us the understanding to create and build. And like, uh, but I think you're right that we, we just don't have an understanding of, um, you know, even I, like I, we live here in Texas and there's family farms all over the place, but it's still something that, uh, runs through the DNA of the Western culture, um, is how do we get there quicker? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just immediately brought to mind, like all things are permissible but not everything is beneficial. Mm. Right. Yep. It's like, uh, God also gave us the ability to, um, you know, he gave, uh, came the ability to hit his brother overhead with a rock. Um, yep. but that doesn't mean he should. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with you necessarily on technology advancements being, um, all bad or, you know, anything like that. But I, I do think that, um, just because, uh, something adds value in one area doesn't mean that it outweighs or that the detrimental effects outweigh it elsewhere. So something to consider for those of you guys who are listening is, you know, um, does your, um, streamlining and automation and all of this, does it actually, uh, although it creates space in your calendar or it makes your Mm -hmm. day easier, is there something else that it's impacting? Even maybe the way your brain thinks about the world, that is a detrimental effect that outweighs the good that it brings. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, the internal audit there is going to be <laughs> humbling. Yeah. 
Um, I want to, I, I do want to back up a little bit to back to belief, um, because I think this is an important thing. This is part of my story. And, um, like I mentioned, I, I think, uh, and, and you said this too, I think you said it well, like, I don't, we don't think the Western church is like, for the most part, uh, is like teaching the wrong things or like talking about the wrong things. We just don't think they're going deep enough. Um, and I think, uh, that was a big, a big thing for me when I, when I felt the belief meter turn up was when I started to actually dig into the magnitude of what Jesus, of like what the Bible is actually teaching. Yeah. So like, I think a lot of things like, uh, when you look and you're being taught that the, the benefits of something aren't as great as they actually are. So like, if, if we, I'll use the same example, like lifting weights or exercising, if, if we're, if you're being taught your entire life, that exercising is only going to benefit your life 0.01%. Like that's where I think this, this minimal belief comes into play because it's like, Oh, the, the, the uh, effect of what this is going to have on me, isn't that big. But then when you actually start to unpack the magnitude of the gospel and the magnitude of what Jesus teaches, um, like John 10, 10, like the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give life and life abundantly. And when you actually unpack what that means, um, you start to see this belief meter move. At least that was, that was the story for me. Like I started to see this uptick in, well, dang, like I've been taking this stuff really lightly. Um, yeah. and I don't think that's what's supposed to happen. And in fact, as you look through scripture and you see the responses to Jesus, you see in, in John four, like the woman at the well, where she has one conversation with, with Jesus. And, and we're talking about a woman that's, uh, he calls out is on her sixth husband, um, is getting water in the middle of the day. So she's an outcast. She can't do it with the other women. She has this interaction with Jesus, she leaves her bucket, John 4, 28 tells us, and she runs back to town, proclaiming the name of Jesus and telling yeah. people about him. And it's like, she understood the magnitude. I just don't think we understand the magnitude today. Like, I don't think we get it. So what you're saying is like, uh, belief is oftentimes tied to a correct understanding of the downstream implications mm. of something. Is that what you're? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. And we may have to unpack downstream implications because again, this idea of instant gratification, uh, downstream implications is something that people don't comprehend. So yeah, I, I, you're, that's exactly right. Like, um, yeah, I think downstream implications is a great way to describe it. Well, I mean, this is kind of in line with the same thinking, but I, I'm a firm belief that if Jesus was applying for a job at a church in America today, he would never have a chance. Like mm -hmm. he, he would never get hired. Definitely not yeah. at a mega church. No, because he's this guy that like has a crowd in front of him. And instead of saying like, Oh, I'm so thankful. These guys are all here to hear me, you know, like um, let's get all their contact info and follow up. <laughs> like he says like, no, in order to be my follower, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Mm. Uh, and then it says the crowd dispersed basically, yep. yeah. you know, and he, he has the, the rich young ruler come to him and he wants to, you know, uh, understand what it requires to have eternal life. And, um, he's like, well, you know, tell me about keeping the commands. And he tells him about keeping the commands and he's like, awesome. One thing remains, sell all your crap and give it away. <laughs> like, you know, and this guy's like, ah, and he went away sad, but it said that yeah. Jesus loved him and then told him that. Mm. And so, yeah, I think, uh, something hardwired into the way Jesus did ministry is he actually forced people to count the costs of following him. Yeah. He, he asked people to understand the implications of what they would have to give up of their own ways of thinking and their own way of living and the ways of culture for a better, more fully human experience. But we have to trust and believe in him. We have to understand the downstream implications mm. of eternal life, of flourishing, of um, life uh, back in communion with the Father, no longer separate, uh, uh, no longer being children of wrath. Like there's all of these things and we have to have a big enough perspective of that to then when the call comes, to count the cost and to make the commitment knowing the cost. Yeah. And I think that's the first step in that relationship with Jesus really being one that is thriving 
Um, and that becomes the catalyst for, I think what you're describing is like continuing to assess effectively and accurately. Mm -hmm. What are these downstream implications and how do they help me ratchet up belief through action? Yep. Yeah. What you do today is a vote for the person you want to be. Right. Yep. So like, really assessing what you're saying is like count the cost and and take an, an audit of um it's the, the same I, in the, this quote i have a love-hate relationship with this quote but the uh show me your your five closest friends and i'll show you who you'll be in 10 years or whatever it is like uh the things yeah. that you do today actually make up who you're gonna be and i think oftentimes uh, we don't we don't fully believe that um so yeah, I think uh, understanding what, exactly what you're saying, like we have to understand the downstream implications. We have to count the costs and actually understand what that means to follow Jesus. Um, because I agree, like, uh, I, I don't think, I think Jesus would be jobless uh, in the church market in the West. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. W- one thing before we kind of close down that I want to highlight too, because we, we're talking a lot about like, you know, uh, counting the cost and giving up stuff and like all that. Right. And some of this can sound, some of this can sound a little, I don't want to say concerning, but like, you know, give people pause who might actually want to follow Jesus, but are now like, man, is this going to like wreck my life? Um, and I just think about Matthew eleven twenty eight when Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest take my Mm. yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, uh, my favorite translation of this, even though I I don't read the message very often because I'm not a huge fan of the thought for thought, but, um, my favorite version of this is actually in the message, just the way that it describes it. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Like, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with Mm. me, work with me, watch how I do it, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And what I think is so fascinating about this is people like, uh, misunderstand, um, like they think of yoke as actually being this like confining thing around your neck, like, but it was actually a euphemism in the first century for teaching or a set of teachings about the Torah. And so what Jesus is saying is like, Hey, the way that I approach scripture, the way that I approach living life in light of God is actually going to bring, uh, it's going to bring rest to your weariness. It's going to bring restoration to your soul. It's going to, um, it's not going to feel ill-fitting or heavy or anything like that. So come to me. And so I just Mm -hmm. think that's really something important probably to end with is just this idea that although um, Jesus asked us to take up our cross, um, it's going to be way better. Yeah. It's going to be way better. So yeah. Well, that's good. uh, Guys, thanks for taking time to to sit with us today. Ryan, thanks for joining me and uh, a great conversation. Um, We will be back next week with another episode. We're going to start diving into these kind of seven categories or domains of life and the variations thereof and what it means to live fully human. Um, So you guys know uh, you actually can support our work at Live Fully Human. So there is a button in the show notes that allows you to donate to us uh, and to our work. That uh, goes towards us creating video content or courses or podcasts or articles or anything that helps strengthen the church through strengthening the man uh, by way of talking about what it means to live fully human and all of the elements that go with that, like following Jesus and all of his commands. So uh, if you guys want to support us in that way, you can do that. And uh, otherwise, we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening.